Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. We're going to pray for the fathers at the end of the service. I just have a message I get to speak today. Chris said, I want you to speak, so I'm going to speak today. I have an interesting word for you. Are you ready for it? It's only about 50 pages long. It won't be that long, actually, but it might be. It is Father's Day. And I want to uh, remind all the fathers today that actually... Even on Father's Day, we tend to take second place. The biggest day is not Father's Day, it's Mother's Day. (laughs) They will spend, people will spend today in America about $8 billion for Father's Day gifts and celebration. On Mother's Day, however, it's $10.43 billion. (laughs) The average, the average, uh, Cost of a Father's Day gift is $42. The average cost of a Mother's Day gift is $63. Guys, they just beat us every time. But I'm here to talk to you today about the the power and the necessity of fathers in our culture. And how very important it is as we reference the understanding of the importance of fathers in our, in our day. I remember when I was first in ministry and we, we didn't have children yet, I preached a message called 10 Laws for Raising Children. After we had children, they were quite small, I changed that to 10 Suggestions for Raising Children. Few more, few more years passed and they're almost out of the house. I changed it again to 10 hints for raising children. It's interesting that as you go through life, things do change. Someone has said that at the age of four, we explain my dad can do anything. At age 10, we say, my dad knows a lot. By age 12, we're saying, oh, well, we can't expect God their dad to know everything. At 14, we say, my dad is hopelessly out of date and old-fashioned. 21 comes along, and we say, what should I expect? He just doesn't understand. At age 25, we begin to say, my dad knows a little bit, but not too much. By age 30, it's, I need to find out what dad thinks. At age 40, we ask, what would dad have thought? By the time we hit 50, we're saying, my dad knew everything. And by 60, I wish I could talk it over with dad just one more time. Kind of true. I want to talk to you today about a, there's a chapter in the Bible. I think it's a Father's Day chapter. It's Psalms 128. I'm going to read the entire chapter. And then we're going to talk about three things that fathers need to give their attention to. 
Psalm 128 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, and your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, May you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel. Can I give you three things, fathers? Then we're going to morph into something that we need to see in a national scale. May I just give you three uh, principles today out of, this, out of this passage? First of all, fathers need to give their, their attention to their faith. We need to give attention to faith, to Jesus Christ, to God. And this is a, I think this is a, hap, this is a happy Father's Day psalm. This psalm talks about faith and a man's faith. It, it talks about the re, real key to faith in a family is the faith of the father. It's the father who sets the example. In fact, do you know that they have determined that, that if a father receives Christ in front of his children and, and goes to church and takes his family to church, 93% of his children will remain in the house of the Lord. If a mother takes the children, and it's very important, but if a mother takes the children, that drops to 17%. Now, we beat him on that one, right, Danny? Okay, yeah. Uh, but the point being that fathers are very important. Now, mothers are too. There's, a, there's an impartation for mothers that fathers can't give. That's why he puts children in a home with a father and a mother. A few years ago, we, we thought in church that the way to reach a family was to reach the children. And so if you saw, uh, this would be in back 20, 25, 30, 40 years ago, that there, most churches, or many churches, I should say, had bus ministries. I remember talking to Tommy Barnett about this in Phoenix First Assembly of God, who was a personal friend of ours. And they would send out scores of buses to pick up the children around the city and bring them to, to church. And they believed that in getting the, the, the children, they could get the father and the mother. Well, the statistics don't bear that out. Now, many of those children found Jesus and lived their lives for Jesus. We know that. But it didn't, in, it, it didn't do its initial intention was to bring the father and mother uh, to the house of the Lord. Many fathers were quite willing to put their children on the bus and, and, and let them go to church so they could have a few hours of babysitting time. And they would do their own thing. But we, real, we, we came to realize throughout the body of Christ that that wasn't the best way. It was a way to get children to church, but not the family. But we see here, the key to faith in a family is the faith of the father. We see this. If a father gives directions to a family, it brings the whole uh, family right along with him. It says, blessed is everyone that fears the Lord. It talks about the fear of the Lord. If a father has the fear of the Lord in him, he, which brings respect and reverence and awe for the Lord, the children will follow. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. There's something about that. I remember watching my, my father and my grandfather. I can remember they would grab me at five, six, and seven years of age, and I didn't want anything to do with it, but they grabbed me anyway. And they took me to church for prayer meetings. 
And I remember my father would take me to prayer meeting and he would pray and there would be, uh, and I would kind of squirm and go around the seats and do all kinds. My tension wasn't there, but God was still doing something in me. And then I remember my grandfather taking me to church and he was the one that really impacted me. For my grandfather would grab me once in a while, just he and I. And he would sit me in the front row and he'd come up to the altar and he'd start crying out to God in the church that he built. And he would kneel in, in the altar and he began to cry. Every time he prayed, he cried. He cried for souls. He cried for God's word. He cried for God's anointing. He would cry and I would just think, well, why is, why is grandpa crying so much? I just didn't quite understand it until I received Jesus. I received Jesus at five years of age and then things started changing. But it was the fear of the Lord that I saw in my father and my grandfather that drew me. It was the fear of the Lord in my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother who happened to be a traveling minister and traveled around the, the state of New Mexico and established churches that, that did something in my, in my heart. That fear of the Lord does something in us. I'm telling everyone in this room, just the fact that you're here means that somebody in your family at some point has prayed for you. You, you may not even know them down the line. There, they may have been many generations past. But do you know this? Prayers don't die. My great-grandmother, had a, when I was uh, about 13 years of old, she, old, she passed away. I went to the funeral. My great-grandmother, the traveling minister uh, in New Mexico, she passed away. And in the front leaflets of her Bible were all of her children, all of her grandchildren, all of her great-grandchildren, and all of her great-great-grandchildren by name. And she prayed for them every day. I believe because my family, the, the majority of my family, and Kirsten can attest to this, and Tracy and the family can attest to this, uh, the majority of my family are believers. I think it was because of the fear of the Lord that my ancestor, both my, grand, my, my father's side, my mother's side, all of them feared the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I, can, can I tell you this? Fearing the Lord and having Jesus in your life is the manliest thing you can do. It's the most courageous thing you can do. Being a man isn't just how much you lift in weights. It's how much you lift in God. And so we, 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 um, we must understand that, receiving Jesus Christ. You see, to invite Jesus in your life is, is actually to give him the center. Give your life a center. Every life has a center. Every life has something around which that life revolves. And for some, for some men, the center of their life is work. Others, it, is, it, it might be sports. Others, it, it might be even family. But you've got to have the circumference and the core of your life has to roll around something. And if you have the, the core of your life, even as your family, that still is idolatry. It has to be Jesus. It's the center core of your life. And as important as family as God's the most important. The Bible says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, put yourself in that place. Is it for me to live is work? For me, for me to live is sports? For me to live is family? No. For me to live is Christ. Can you say amen? amen. Jesus is the only way to center your life. Otherwise, confusion will reign. The second thing about this, 
uh, you know, giving our, our attention to faith. You, you see, the faith is, is, uh, is in our hearts. He says, blessed everyone who fears the Lord. But then he says, who walks in his way? Who walks in his way? So the fear of the Lord is your inward life. Walking in his way is your outward life. Here's a picture of someone who's using the Lord as a roadmap for life. You've got to have an inward work. You have to have an outward work. Every man needs a roadmap. Now, I'm saying this to everybody, but I'm particularly saying this to fathers this morning. That You know, what is it about us men that we, that we never want to admit that we don't know our way around? God wants to be your roadmap. He wants to give you direction. And maybe you have lost your way, but God can center your life back again. And then in verse 2, this is fascinating. In verse 2, it says this. When you eat this, he's talking about blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Then you will eat the labor of your hands. You shall be happy and it shall be well with you. That is the result of fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. I mean, that's the gospel right there. That's all, that, that, that's what it's all about. In other words, if you fear the Lord and walk in his ways, you will eat the labor of your hands. God will bless you. He will bless you in your work and in your business. There's something deeply satisfying about labor. Do you know work started before the fall? There was labor before the fall. And then what happened is God, God wants us to learn to earn things and receive it. He wants us to get, get to the point where we understand this, this, this work uh, uh, thing. I remember, this will date me, remember there was a character on TV named Dobie Gillis years ago. Those of us who were older will know that. And I think it was Dobie or one of the characters on the program, whenever the word work happened, he would go, work! he become apoplectic because he didn't like work. He was one of those hippies or whatever that just wanted to go through life. I'm telling you, there's value in labor. And God wants us to understand that it, it, even in labor, he wants to bless us. There's something noble about work. So we need to give our attention to faith so God can bless us in all these ways. Can you say amen? amen. Number two, we need to give attention to our family. We, in this, in this uh, season, we need to give our attention to our family. It says in verse 3, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around their table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. There we go again, who fears the Lord, who fears the Lord. We need to give attention to our faith and give our attention to our family. Let's take a look at the, at the house we live in, our, our, you know, our home. It's a place where we go and, and uh, we, we, we keep our clothes and our possessions there. I'm talking about the place where you walk around barefoot, where, where you have your own slippers. I'm talking about the place where you have that old, worn-out recliner that your wife's been trying to get rid of for years and years. But it fits you so perfectly, you would never think of getting rid of that. I'm talking about the place where you put your Diet Pepsi down, where you have your remote and you can go click, click, click. You know, I'm talking about where you live. What is it like living in your house as a man of God? This, this scripture talks about a man's family as it has to do with his companion or his wife. He says his wife shall be by his side and she, she will be fruitful. I remember someone said this once, a man can be a fool and not know it, but he can't be married and not know it. 
What about your marriage? What, what, are you the spiritual leader? Are you becoming the man to direct your, not only your children, but your wife as well? Be the spiritual head of your home. It's your responsibility to bring your wife and, and children to the house of God. I love coming to the house of, uh, of the Lord. Sunday is my favorite day of the year, or the week. It's day of the year, too. But this scripture says she, she's going to be like a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. Your children, your children will be like olive plants all, all around the table. In fact, the Living Bible says it this way. There they sit around the dinner table as vigorous and healthy as young olive trees. Is there anything that gets closer to your heart than children and then grandchildren? I'm telling you. Last night we, uh, uh, let me just say this. Uh, let me encourage you, every Saturday at 3 o'clock, we have prayer at the Capitol in the park. And we had prayer yesterday. We had, I don't know, 100 people out there. Yesterday, there was, there was a lot of people. And we prayed. We believed God. And then after the, the, the that was just a powerful uh, setting in which we believed that God was doing something special in America. And I, I began to, to view revival and awakening. Now, isn't it, isn't it interesting? I'm going to divert here just for a minute. I'll go to rabbit trail just for a second. Isn't it interesting that all the, all the unrest, all of the violence and destruction happened when the churches weren't in session? Just saying. I'm praying right now. We started, I prayed this yesterday at, at, our, at our meeting. I'm praying churches would come back in session. There, you, now, you can watch online, and that's wonderful, but watching online benefits you. When we come to church and we come in agreement, it benefits them. We are to be salt and light. Salt and light means we preserve. We do something. I'm telling you, something happens when the American churches are back in session. It will bring, uh, it will bring favor to the land. It's going to stop. It's going to stop this unrest, this rebellion that's happening. And as we continue to pray and believe God, you see, even... Even the worship today, join with the worship of heaven and begin to permeate the atmosphere. When worship and prayer happens together, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a chokehold in the atmosphere that does not allow the enemy to, to participate in activity against the house of God and the people of God. Come on. It's true. We need to see how powerful prayer is. So that's why I encourage you to get involved with prayer in the house of God, in agreement. The Bible just says, if two or three of you agree, it shall be done of my Father in heaven. So think about the power of all of us. When we were worshiping today, when we were praying today, when you were saying amen, you may not think that your voice is necessary. It is necessary. When you say something, you see, oh man, I'm getting to it now. When you, this, is how, this is how heaven works. Jesus is not on the earth to declare by his voice. He has his body on the earth to declare with their voice the will of heaven. That's why he wants you to sing it, to praise it, to preach it, to testify to it. And when you do it, heaven answers. And then comes angels on assignment. Then comes an atmosphere of God's protection and blesses us and protects us. That's how it works. So when the church comes in and churches across America come back to the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm sorry, I get excited. So what we need to do is give our attention to, to faith, give our attention to our 
family and bring them to the house of the Lord. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to gather their, 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 their thoughts towards God. You know, when you, when you have a child, you bring a little sinner into the world. When you have two children, you, you bring two sinners into the world. Chris and Kelly have seven of them. Seven sinners. How, how do I know they're sinners? Because you were a sinner. They got it from you through Adam's race. And but what we must do is lead them to Jesus. I loved it. Like yesterday, I, was I, was, I need to finish this story. So yesterday after prayer, several of the grandkids jumped in the back because they love to come with Grandma and Papa because we just do anything they want to do, you know. So they said, Papa, can we go do this? Oh, yeah, sure, whatever you want to do. And they come over to our house, and we're having fun. And, say, and all of a sudden, we find that they're staying overnight with us. They always try to stay overnight with us. And so, but this is fascinating. I want to commend Kelly and Chris for this. We have them pray every night with us. And as they're praying, they always say, and Jesus, thank you for saving, saving us by dying on the cross. They do it in their child, very mature way. And I'm going, thank you, Jesus. That sinner has turned into a saved believer. I just, I thank God for that. Now, I need to get going here. We'll never get done. The third thing fathers need to turn their attention to is we need to give our attention to our future. Look what it says in, it says uh, in verse five, the Lord bless you out of Zion and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Now, this is interesting because verse 5 talks about the Lord will bless you out of Zion. What was Zion? Zion was the capital city. Zion was the head of, of Israel. It's where David was on Mount Zion. They would have praise and prayer. It's talking about the political center of Israel. And it's the palace there. It's the, it's the capital. God is Now listen to this carefully. God is promising the father who will put his faith in the Lord and be the kind of man he ought to be in his family. He's promising him national blessings. That's what he's doing. He's promising him national blessings. Fathers, let's get up. Let's, let's start believing this, that God will bring us national blessings. Why do, why do uh, godly fathers bring national blessings? Well, Martin Luther said this. Household government is the fountain of political government. If you destroy the one, the other can't exist. So when fathers are what they ought to be in a nation, and when fathers lift the ethical and spiritual level of their own behavior and their own families, it invariably lifts the level and the standards of the entire nation. Fathers, Let's start honoring God. Let's start fearing the Lord. See what God will do in bringing blessings and national blessings. And in September 26th, a bunch of us as fathers and leaders and, 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 and many people are going to Washington and we're calling on God to bring national blessings to America. Let it happen. You see, the future of a nation's life will largely be dependent upon the leadership and direction which the men provide. If we're to have revival in America, we've got to have to have revival in men and provide national blessings. Come on, God. And then he does this. He says, not only national blessings, I'm going to give you personal blessings. He says, you will see your children's children, your grandchildren. 
You're going to see them. You're going to be blessed by them. May peace, the peace of Israel be upon you. In other words, you will live to enjoy your grandchildren. I love it. You need two fathers in your life. You need your earthly father and you need your heavenly father. Some of us may not have, maybe we lost our earthly father. Maybe we didn't have an earthly father. Maybe he left us. You still have your heavenly father. So every child needs two fathers. Every child needs that in their life to bring about the formation. Now, I'm shifting. Are you ready with me? So those are the three things. Give your attention to faith, family, and your future. Now, I want to I explain something. A few years ago, I heard a message that impacted my life. Right in the middle of the message was this phrase. The commitment of, your fa- of, of our fathers is the calling of our times. The commitment of our fathers is the calling of our times. And I began to realize, i got to tell you a story. I didn't tell this first service. Can I tell it to you? Yes. See, should I do it now? Yeah, I'll do it now. 2004, Tracy and I went back to Washington, D.C. We had the National Prayer Center there. And uh, we went back to D.C. And I took my father with me. You see, it was, the, it was the dedication of the World War II Memorial, and my father was in World War II. He had never been to D.C. before. He went to... So we took him there, and we had this amazing opportunity, and it was the most amazing thing. Thousands of people were there for the dedication of the World War II Memorial, and there were three generations present. The father or mother, the son or daughter, and a grandchild, just like Tracy and I and my dad. Everywhere. I'd never seen so many wheelchairs in all my life. I, we, we took my dad, we went to the National Archives. Some of you may not, never have heard this story. Went to the National Archives. I had made arrangements for him to tell his story to the National Archives. So we went in, they took us down in this room. They had a video, videographer, and he sat there for one hour telling his story and tr- stories, and Tracy and I sat there oh my word, I've never heard this before. And I realized, my dad's a hero. For three and a half years, he'd been in New Guinea fighting in the war, and God had preserved him and saved him. And he, 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 he told all of his stories, and we were just amazed at it. And it did something in my heart, because um, I realized the sacrifice that that generation gave so we could actually have what we have here. And then I saw just thousands of them. And then uh, Tracy and I took him to the Verizon Center. A big, it would be like, uh, you know, the indoor basketball arena, et cetera, hockey. And we walked in and, and uh, we said, uh, we're, we're here. Here's my, my father. And he's a, he's a uh, World War II veteran. And they said immediately, remember this, Tracy? Follow us. So we followed him. And they took us up to the best seats in the house. Right in the, you know, be like the club section where they have all the highfalutin people sit there, you know. And we, we were, and my dad said, did you arrange this? I said, no, God did. He took us right there, and here we were sitting over watching this whole amazing presentation. 
And then we, we, we spent more time throughout the week, and God was doing something in my heart. And uh, then what happened was um, the, 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 the day came where it was Sunday, and we were just about done. We had many activities and many things, and Dad was kind of blown away. He didn't talk much, and he was just kind of, I think, just thinking through these things. And then Saturday night, I asked, hey, Dad, you want to go to church? Because uh, Tracy was going to take Dad home because I was there in, in D.C. leading a team the next week. And Tracy was going to take Dad home. So I said, Dad, before you go, to, go home, would you like to go to church? He said, sure. So I'm thinking in my mind, where should we go to church? I know where we're going to go to church. We're going to go to St. John's Church. It's right behind the White House. You may have seen it on TV. We walked in there, and I thought, this is interesting. They had uh, all these electronic things. They were checking everybody. I thought, huh, somebody's going to be here. So we got seated, sat down in church, and then about just before it started, in the front door com comes George and Laura, President Bush and his wife, in the front door, down the side, and he smiled and nodded at me as he goes back and sits three seats, three rows behind us. We're sitting there and we're enjoying the service and, and I, I kind of bumped my dad. It was me and my dad and then Tracy. Hey, that's the president. He said, I know, I know. <laughs> so then we get up for communion. In this church, which is an Anglican Episcopal church, they take communion every Sunday and they get in line to do it. And it just happened that the president gets up with his wife and the line is right down the aisle and it's, he stops right here. So I reach up and I say, hello, Mr. President. And I introduce myself and my dad and Tracy. And he, he stood there for some time talking to us, sharing with us. And we, we told him what we did and what, why, we, why we were there, not only just for that, but as prayer leaders in the nation. And he was so grateful and so, so congenial. And he had shaken my dad's hand, of course, and, and then he went up and, and we concluded this, the, the service. I think my dad thought that every time I go to Washington, I saw the president. <laughs> I didn't tell him otherwise. <laughs> when he got home, he went to his church in Nampa and he told everybody the experience. One guy still to this day he, he always wanted to shake dad's hand because that was the hand that shook the hand of the president. <laughs> anyway, so the story isn't over yet. This was a Father's Day. It was, actually, it was uh, Pentecost Sunday. That was Pentecost Sunday. So it was in the 1st of June. And uh, then I took Tracy and dad to the airport, sent him off, and I got real emotional I started crying, weeping, and I, I couldn't figure out what, you know, I'm not necessarily a weeper. I can be, but not in that, I wasn't, I wasn't crying over my dad. I wasn't crying because he was leaving. There was something else. I just cried before God and wept and, and for, for, that, for that whole rest of that Sunday. Then the next day comes, it dawns, and we learn that President Ronald Reagan passed away. The Lord spoke to me and said, your fathers are passing. You must start honoring, blessing, and receiving their impartation for the next generation. 
And through that, that everything I'm telling you today was, was imprinted and implanted in my heart. And I'm telling you right now, we have got to raise up a standard of honoring fathers and mothers and leaders who were older in us. I see, let me tell you this, C.S. Lewis uh, uh, kind of coined this. He said, this nation or the world is, is kind of gathered in what he called chronological snobbery, meaning that people don't believe in the previous generation's thought processes or they're not smart as we are. They don't have enough science and technology. So we just kind of write them off. I'm telling you, that's not what we should be doing. As the people of God, we need to be recognizing that our fathers and mothers are assigned to us to bless us. I remember when we, when we started the church, we had fathers come in all the time. And every time they came, you know what we do? We gather those fathers and we ask them to bless our children. We'd ask them to bless the church. You are now here as a product of fathers that have prayed over this house over many generations. And we cannot stop doing that even now. Even though many of my personal fathers are gone, I believe that God still wants us to honor the fathers and receive the blessing of the inheritance of fathers and mothers that have gone before us. Are you with me? Now, I, got, I, have, to, I have to address this, and then I'm going to try to end. I'm going to try to end. The Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalms 11.3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, I'm telling you right now, I'm a history major. I'm also a worldview aficionado, and I really study it. And I have found that, that what we're seeing right now in the course of our nation and the world is worldview wars. That's what we're in right now. We're in a worldview war. Now, let me just tell you this. A worldview is a story. I have to share this before I end. A worldview is a story that answers our basic questions about life and reality. In other words, who are we? What is our fundamental problem as human beings? What is the solution to that problem? What is our principal moral duty? And what is our purpose in life? A worldview is a lens through which we view that and interpret all other evidence and all other claims. In other words, your worldview will direct your life, your actions, and your future. Your presuppositions will dictate where you end up in life. You better have the right presuppositions. And so we see this happening. Now, listen, to this. Christianity tells one comprehensive story in the Bible in four acts. It's the, it's the creation, it's the fall, it's the redemption, and it's the restoration. Those four areas. In other words, who are we? We're the creatures of a holy, good, and loving creator. What is our fundamental problem? Well, we have rebelled against God. What is the solution to our problem? Well, God sent Jesus to bear the penalty of our rebellion and rescue us. What is our primary moral duty? To love God. And what is our purpose in life? To glorify God. Now, that's in opposition to humanistic worldviews and other worldviews that are trying to impose their view on people. If you do not have God creator as your worldview, you will default to another worldview, which is a presupposition which will lead you to faulty activity. And that's what's happening. 
You see, our, our, our uh, America was made in such a way that the founding fathers believed that our republic could not stand could not stand without Christianity. In other words, without Christianity, our nation could not exist. They said, if you lose virtue, you will lose freedom. And they went on and on about this, how important it is. Our, our, our nation is founded upon Western civilization. I don't know if you know this. Do you know the, the beauty that was in the worship today? Do you know that, where that started? In Western civilization. I've been studying it. It's fascinating. Everything that we think is pretty cool was started in Western civilization. Even the way we think. Even the different things that we take for granted in our, soul, in our culture, like order and everything. It all started in Western civilization, which the pillars are the, the, the Christian worldview that I just described to you. And without that, we, we falter. So what happens is we have other, are you still with me? I'm going to do a whole class on this this fall, I think. So you can catch this. But li listen to this. So we have other worldviews that are, that are coming in. And uh, we, they, they, see, if we, if we are not God's creatures, then who are we? Well, we then define our, ourselves in terms of race, class, sexuality, or gender identity. And oppression, not sin, is our fundamental problem. Yeah. Wow. So what is the solution? Activism, changing structures, destruction. They work together to overthrow things. Our primary moral duty, well, what is it? It's just to work for the liberation of all oppressed peoples. But Jesus has another view. He says, I want to release everybody from oppression. We start personally. Then we go to groups of people and God puts us in a family. We become a part of the family of God. Doesn't matter what race, what creed, or whatever. When we come into the family of God, we are the family of God. And we have Jesus' blood flowing through our veins. And so we, we see this, that there's alternative, comprehensive views that are coming into our nation. And the, way, the only way they can overthrow Western civilization is tear it down. And that's what you see. Okay, I can't. But here we are, the church and the fathers. I believe that we are in a day that if the fathers will arrive, will arise, and will start doing what we've been called to do is have righteousness and pray, then God will hear our prayers and he will cause the nation of America to be not only a great nation, but to be a missionary sending nation, to be a righteous nation that will touch every nation of the world, which was his purpose for the nation to begin with. Because it started with the pilgrims, it started with the Puritans, they came and their, their, their scripture was Matthew 5, they wanna be a city set on a hill for all the nations. So we need to understand the commitment of our fathers. That was what they did. A commitment is something pledged, obligated to carry into action deliberately. So we must take up the cause of our fathers in righteousness and prayer. It is an hour of great challenges, but we have great opportunities. I see there's greater opportunities today than ever since I've been alive. Wow. Boy, there weren't many amens on that. I've been alive more, longer than most of you, and I'm telling you right now, God's up to something. 
In Revelation, he tells us this. He says, I want you to remember, I want you to repent, and I want you to return. What does he want us to remember? The, the providential acts of God to our fathers. He wants us to remember the commitment of our fathers, how they raised up a people, a church, a nation. And then when we catch it, we begin to speak it. We begin to declare it. And God begins to do something as we pray. God called America to do that. He's called every nation to do that. But, but if, if, we're, if, we, if we are a nation who do not do this, we fall into the book of Judges. The book of Judges situation, every man did what was right in his own eyes. But if we, if we say, Lord, I want you to be my deliverer, our deliverer, God will rise up. Ezra 9.8 says, and now for a little while or a space of time, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. And God, give, God is giving us a space of time. I'm telling you, I'm prophesying that right now. We have a space of time to bring revival to the land. And so we must do what, like what Abraham did. All our, found, our, our biblical fathers, our founding fathers, Abraham. Do you know why Abraham chose, uh, God chose Abraham to be our, 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 our spiritual father? Genesis 18, 19 tells us why. It says, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. That scripture tells us, you know why God chose Abraham? Because God knew that Abraham would raise his children right. God knows the beginning from the end. God is looking for a, for a generation of fathers that will arise. I know they will raise their children right. And then he will give us anointing and, and he will begin to lead us in paths that are just amazing. We see all these men of the Bible, Elijah, Elijah was the man who was, it was said that the scripture said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Remember that in James? It was, it was that he, he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed and it started raining again. Now I like that kind of prayers. I think we as fathers need to once again, reemerge as praying people. Daniel, he prayed day and night and God released the, the children of Israel. We see Spurgeon, the by, uh, historians say Charles Spurgeon, was, it was said of him, he glided from laughter to prayer with the naturalness of one who lived in both elements. Within the habit of prayer was free and unfettered. John Wesley, I told you about him recently. Without, with, because of John Wesley's revival in, in England, there was no French Revolution in England because revival came. We see this Martin Luther, Melanchthon said of Martin Luther, once I happened to hear him at prayer, gracious God, what spirit and what faith is there in his expressions? He petitions God with as much reverence as if he was in the divine presence and yet with as firm a hope and confidence as he would address a father or a friend. David Livingston, it was his habit every birthday to write a prayer. He actually died on his knees in prayer. We see this all through our history. We see the commitment of our founding fathers. 52 out of the 55 signers of the, of the declaration were avowed Christians. And we see this occurring all through the Bible. We see uh, the, 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 the wonderful righteousness and praying of our founding fathers. Of 15,000 writings of the founding fathers, 94% of all quotes either directly or indirectly cited the Bible. 
John Witherspoon was a Presbyterian pastor. William Treat Payne was a military chaplain. Benjamin Rush founded the Pennsylvania Bible Society. Charles Pinckney and John Langdon founded the American Bible Study the Society. These are all founding fathers. James McHenry founded the Baltimore Bible Society. Rufus King founded a Bible Society for Anglicans. Abraham Baldwin was a chaplain in the army. And I, we, I could go on and on. My point is we've got to get back to the commitment of our fathers so we can see the change in our day. And we got to pray. We got to remember the commitment of our fathers. We must repent and we must return. Turn around. Move forward. Man, it's hot up here. Now, now you can, you can leave today and say, well, how, how does that affect me? If you didn't get it, I don't know how to tell you. You need to start letting God take control. Center him in your life, remember? We need to, we, we need to have attention on our faith, our family, and our future. Allow God to just change us, move us. And I'm praying today there will be a special anointing and mantle that will now fall on fathers. If you're a father, I want you to stand your feet right now. Wow, look at this. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for you. Put your hand on your heart just right now as a, as a statement of your wanting Jesus. Lord, we just pray right now for every father standing. I pray a fresh mantle. Even as Elijah gave Elisha the mantle, I pray a fresh mantle would come upon the men of this house, the fathers of this house. Lord, the anointing would flow. There would come a, a, a movement of the Holy Spirit to, to do things they've never even thought of doing before. You would raise their vision. You would raise their hope. You'd raise their faith. You'd give them ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, a heart to believe more than they've ever believed before. I pray that we would become as Abraham of old, that you chose us because you knew we would raise our children in the ways of God. Lord, I'm praying grace, grace. Now, grace, grace on every father in this room. This would be a new day, a new year, a new opportunity. God, you would arise in them. They would be the priests of their home and they begin to speak the authority of God over their family, over this city, over this state, and over this nation. We call on you, God, to come and do miracles in us, in our families, and our nation in Jesus' name. Now do it right now. Let the fire of God begin to burn in every one of us. Not one person, not one father leaving this place without the fire of God. I pray this. I seal this in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you'd wake us in the, up in the night. I pray that you would get us moving towards greater deliberation in you, greater study, and greater prayer. Do it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you, fathers. Let's give them a big hand. Praise God. I want to do one more thing. If you just bow your heads, we must do this. If you came today and you know that...